The Productive Woman, Episode 466. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, I'll share with you my conversation with professor, vocal coach, and author Jessica Doyle Meckes as part of our newly resumed Productive Living series. You'll find more information about Jessica, along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online, all in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 466. I am delighted to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners Jessica Doyle Meckes. Jessica is the head of musical theater at East Carolina University, where she has taught voice and vocal pedagogy since about 2017. She works as a speaker, advisor, and clinician to individuals, groups, NGOs, and businesses small and large, teaching women how to harness the power of their voices in their heads and out of their mouths. Jessica lives in Greenville, North Carolina with her husband, Don, her two daughters, and a codependent chihuahua named Sebastian. Her first book, I'm Speaking, Every Woman's Guide to Finding Your Voice and Using It Fearlessly, releases this month. And I've really been looking forward to talking with her about finding and using our voice. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you, Laura. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, I've been looking forward to talking with you as I've been reading your book and learning a lot about that. I, I don't think I told you, I used to sing many years ago when I was younger. So it's interesting to read some of the things you have to say in your book about voice in general. Um, before we dig into all that, though, I gave a little bit of an introduction to you, but could we start by you maybe telling us a little more about who you are, where you are, what you do, whatever you think would be useful for us to know as we get into our conversation? Absolutely. So uh, as you mentioned, I am in Greenville, North Carolina, so on the East Coast of North Carolina and originally from Michigan. Uh, we moved here in 2017 for my job at ECU. And I am the head of the musical theater BFA or Bachelors of Fine Arts uh, program here. So the program has about 50 students in it. And we are a pre-professional program. So we train actors to go and take Broadway and the world by storm. So I teach singing here and vocal pedagogy. And if pedagogy is kind of a funny word, it's just the ins and outs of the voice and how to teach voice. So anatomy and physiology and vocal health and hygiene and acoustics. And uh, that is sort of my my day job. And I have two little girls. Tallulah is five and Jolie is almost two. And they keep me very busy. <laughs> and uh, as well as my husband and Sebastian, our chihuahua. And my other passion is working with women's voices. And I got into that really from the women in my life. There are, I am just so grateful to be surrounded by amazing women. And what I was noticing and what my friends were bringing to my attention is that 
they had been training for years in whatever it is that that they do, whether they're a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a nurse, and they could speak really, really clearly on the content of, of their career. But when it came to having to have an important conversation and say, ask for a raise or speak up against toxicity at work or uh, have a conversation with a partner that needed to be had, they were coming up short and they were finding that even though they had all this education and all this life experience, those skills they were lacking in. So from those conversations, I got thinking, well, that's kind of what I do. I work with performers on their voices and how to sound clear and confident, but also on performance anxiety. And so I looked at the literature and it seemed like there were a lot of books on public speaking, uh, a lot of books by men on public speaking. <laughs> there were a lot of books on sort of this idea of female empowerment, but there didn't seem to be a lot of crossover of actually how to use your voice to get what you want, how to use your voice to ask for what you want and get what you need, whatever that might be. And so that's really where the idea for this sort of side hustle, which has become a lot more than that recently, came from, was I was inspired uh, by the women that are close to me and then started thinking, I bet there are other women out there who could also benefit from this work. And that's sort of what led me to where I am today. That's such an interesting kind of track of bringing your professional life to bear on the things you observed in the women in your life and then into the broader world. I really want to dig into this and talk about some of the things that you've been teaching and, and writing about. Before we do that, I'd love to provide a little context for how you make a meaningfully productive life for yourself, how you get the things done that are important to you and sort of how you structure your life to make space for those things, if you don't mind. And so I would start with asking if there is such a thing for you as a typical day, what might that look like? Sure. So I get up early and I joke that uh, brain science researchers classify people as as either larks or people who get up early and go to bed early or night owls. And I joke that I am a, I am a natural night owl mm -hmm. who has been pushed and pulled <laughs> against her will into becoming a lark. So I get up early uh, my kids get up at about seven and I'm up usually about 4.30 or five most mornings. And it has over time become probably my most favorite part of the day or one of my most favorite parts of the day. And I will either start by working on, I did, I wrote most of the book from, from five to seven o'clock in the mornings. So I was working on that for a long time. Now I'm usually writing an article or writing some sort of a post for LinkedIn, but it's it's my time to focus on my work as a writer, as a researcher. Uh, sometimes I just write creatively because it's a great outlet for me. So that's how I start my days and with coffee, always with coffee. <laughs> Then I, I do the, the mom things. So it's along with my husband and I, I need to give him credit because he's a wonderful partner. But it's it's the mom things. It's the making of the lunches and making sure that homework is done. And our five-year-old started kindergarten this year, which is wonderful, but also presents its own challenges because believe it or not, kindergartners have homework <laughs> most mm. nights. And, uh, you know, she has to have a lunch and her uniform and all those things. 
And I usually do school drop off for both my kids. And then I head to work and I have, and this is a huge part of my, my productivity. I'm very privileged to be able to create, to largely create my own schedule. So in teaching voice, I work with students one-on-one on their singing. And so at the beginning of the semester, I put out the hours that I am available and then the students sign up. And in the past, I always started later because who wants to sing in the morning? Would start at about 10 and then would finish at 5. And this year, because my daughter started kindergarten and she's done at 2.45 and I drop her off a lot earlier, I changed that. And so now I start at 8.30, which my students actually haven't been complaining about too much, (laughs) but I'm sure they don't love. But it was really important to me that I had some time in the afternoons with my kids And I didn't love dropping our youngest off at 745 and then not picking her up till five. I just, it's it's so important to me to be able to have some time with them where we're not exhausted and just sort of zombies on the couch. And so I shifted my schedule. So I teach, uh, I teach a lot of one-on-one voice lessons. I teach a a group class called Intro to Musical Theater Voice, which is with all of our freshmen that runs their entire freshman year. And we cover things like anatomy and physiology and acoustics and vocal health and styles. And I really love teaching that class. I get a lot of FaceTime with the freshmen, which is what I prefer anyway to help them create that foundation, both as a student and as a performer. And then usually I, if I pick my kids up on time, I get them, we go home, uh, we do some, I get a workout in usually while they're having a snack and then it's on to, to the evening and whether that's hustling to Girl Scouts or to tennis or if I have an event at school, which I try to minimize, uh, I joke that if it's not a matinee, it's probably not happening for me <laughs> and um And I go to bed about nine so I can get up and and do it all over again. So I think for me, being productive has meant really saying no to things that are not truly A-list important and also really altering my schedule to fit my needs. And I think that's good advice for all of us to think about what's important to us and try to structure our day around that. As you talked about you know, changing your schedule for giving voice lessons and those sorts of things to accommodate other priorities in your life. It's hard. I mean, not everybody has that flexibility and that ability to to set their schedule the way they want to. But to the extent that each of us has control over some portion of our day, thinking deeply about what's really important to us and, and taking that into account as we schedule is really important. Absolutely. And again, I, I speak totally from a place of privilege on that uh, because I, I do realize that a lot of people don't have that luxury that if, you know, you my husband doesn't, he works at an eight to five and that's what the hours are. And um, or I have friends who are physicians and if you're on call, you're on call. So I think being able to take charge of the time that you do have and then for for women in particularly, I've found that that saying no is often difficult. And I know it is for me. I am, this is something I'm really working on is I like to, I feel bad if I say no. And so it's my MO to say yes to everything and then to back out and, you know, and apologize and back out. And most of the time, I think if I would have just been honest and upfront at the beginning, 
I wouldn't have had to back out. And the person that I was saying no to probably wouldn't have cared all that much. But I just have this, this real guilt around setting that boundary about saying no to extra things, um, particularly when it comes to work. Yeah, I think you're not alone in that. I've talked about that on the podcast in the in the past and, you know, done a lot of reading about it. Why do we, as women, as a whole, I mean, there are exceptions always, but uh, so often women struggle with saying no. We, we want people to like us. We want to, you know, feel like team players. We feel like we need to say yes, especially at work. Or we're afraid of missing out on something. And so we say yes to everything and get ourselves in a bind. Yes, absolutely. I think it's all of those things. And it's been different things for me at different points in my career. You know, when I was starting out, it was say yes to everything because I'm trying to get my name out there or I had just started at the university. And so I felt this pressure to be at events and to do things and to not miss anything and to make sure I was part of the team and that I was, you know, making a valuable contribution And now it's shifted a little bit to where if I'm saying no to something, it's usually because I'm saying yes to something else, you know, and that something else most recently has been my personal life and has has been my family. Yeah, for sure. Just out of curiosity, can you share what tools you use to to manage your schedule, your to do's, all that sort of thing? Are you a pen and paper girl? Are you a tech wizard? What (laughs) sorts of things do you use to... Yeah, both. Wizard, definitely not. And I should say that I have to be really mindful about writing things down because if I had it my way, I would try to just keep it all in my head and then I would forget, you know, six out of every 10 things and then be (laughs) scrambling to catch up, um, which has happened more than a few times. But uh, I have a weekly calendar for my family at home that is pen and paper that goes up on our little cork board. I also use the calendar on my phone a lot and I have to set alerts for things because I'm really bad and I need to get in a better habit of sitting down at the beginning of the week and just looking and seeing what I've scheduled for myself because, and then making sure that when I schedule something, I set an alert, maybe even two (laughs) for the week before, the day before, or I will totally forget. And then my phone will ding and go, you're supposed to be here talking with this person, you know, in the next hour. And I'll go, oh no, not ready. and then I'll have to scramble. Exactly. I'll have to scramble to get that done. Yeah. I often tell people I do what my calendar tells me Mm -hmm. because for me, I'm at my desk most of the time, you know, for my legal practice and I'll be head down working on some document, not thinking about, you know, what comes next until my computer dings at me and says, okay, you've got a call in 15 minutes or whatever it might be. And so if I don't set alerts, things are not going to happen. A hundred percent. Yes. A hundred percent. And then it's just panic. You know, yeah, it's just exactly or it's someone emails me and says or texts me and says, are you coming? You know, are you there? And then I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't even know where there is. You know, so. Oh, my goodness. I think all of us can relate with that. Okay, so I want to get into um, the reason I asked you to join me on this episode. And that is talking about women and finding and using our voices. You've written a book about this, and we'll talk about that uh, more as we go along. But Um, your book really is about finding and using our voice as women. 
Why that topic and why specifically written for women? You've touched on this a little bit already, but can you kind of expand on why you chose to write about this and why specifically for women? Sure. So as a vocal coach, I get asked a lot, you know, what does it mean to find your voice? And I've seen a lot of of people who work in the voice industry where that's their slogan, you know, find your voice. And for me, it's it's always been two things. One, it's getting to know your voice physically. It's knowing that the voice is made of skeletal muscle, which is the same kind of muscle you work in the gym, and that it can be trained. And I think that is something that most people don't realize. And the reality is that most of us use our voices a lot for our lives and and for our careers. In, In the voice business, we call people who depend on their voices professional voice users, people like yourself, like attorneys or people in sales, broadcasters, things like that, where if your voice isn't clear, if it isn't working for you, then it really causes a problem. And I make the joke in the book that, you know, especially if if the phrase clear for takeoff or scalpel <laughs> are part of your, your day-to-day, uh, then not having your voice becomes a real issue. And I think for most of us, we don't think about our voices until we need them and they're not there. And so part of writing the book was to bring a spotlight to the importance of the voice, uh, that it can be changed, that it can be uh, made more, made clearer, that it can, you can be made to sound more confident, right? If you're breathy, you can do something to eliminate that. If you're told a lot that you speak too quietly, there are ways to work on those things. And I think we plan a lot for personally or professionally about what we're going to wear, what we're going to say, how we're going to look while we say it. But we don't often plan for how our voice is going to sound when we're speaking. And that feeling can cause a lot of anxiety and also can make or break the situation, right? If, if I'm pitching someone on my startup idea and my voice sounds like a whiskey troll, then they're not going to be listening to the words that I'm saying. They're going to be wondering, you know, what do I have and can they catch it? (laughs) And so I think that that's something that a lot of people don't realize. And so that was part of the impetus behind writing the book and, and part of finding your voice. The other half of that for me is dealing with the voice in your head and the media coins it, you know, imposter syndrome. I call it imposter her syndrome, because I think, and what I've learned through my research is that a lot of women have this feeling of unworthiness, or we have that little voice in our head that tells us that this is not a good idea. No one likes you. No one's going to listen to you. What are you doing here? And I think largely, and my reason behind writing for women is because women are the ones who are dealing with that, right? Uh, society as a whole was made for men. Everything from radio to microphones to most of the data compression algorithms, like the one we're using on Zoom right now, were made for male voices. And so women need the help. Women need to know that there are effective, efficient ways to speak clearly and confidently and still sound like them. And that sounding the way that you do, there's nothing wrong with that. And those stereotypes 
of what authority and power sound like are often, the benchmark is often male, it's often white, and that leaves a lot of women feeling like they're doing something wrong or like they're lacking. And I really believe that isn't the case at all. It's it's about knowledge and it's about tools. And I tried to do both of those things with the book. Yeah. Having read the book, I would say you you accomplished that. You were successful in that because there. what I enjoyed about the book is that there's I, I like hearing the, you know, the science behind things and the the mechanics and all of that. But you offer some very uh, practical and practicable suggestions, tools, things to use, things to do. And so I do recommend that any any woman who's, uh, you know, got questions about using her voice and, and how it works and whether they sound right or wrong or whatever, uh, check out this book. Is it available? I, I didn't check before we started recording. Is it available yet on Amazon? It is available for pre-order. So it comes out, it will be shipped October 15th, but it is definitely available for pre-order on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, really any any major bookseller should have it available for pre-order. And thank you so much. I'm, I'm so glad that those were your takeaways from it. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty here, but I would just say kind of to your point, as you were saying earlier, this information isn't just for people who want to perform. It's not just for singers and actors. It's important for all of us who need to use our voice to get what we need and want out of life, whether that's professionally or in relationships or anything else. So it's a, a really valuable tool to learn to understand how to use your voice well. One of the things I wanted to talk about is something that you talk about in the very beginning of the book in the introduction. You cite some statistics that I found kind of troubling. In the introduction, you say 45% of female business leaders say it's difficult for women to speak up in meetings and that men do 75% of the talking during the average business meeting. You also cite that the statistic that men are about four times more likely to negotiate for what they want at work. Do you have any insight into why these statistics are true and what impact they have on women? Sure. Uh, I think one of the reasons that they're true is that there are usually more men in the room. Mm. And that idea of, of being an only, uh, of being the only woman in the room, of being perhaps the only woman of color in the room is a very real one, right? And I think uh, I cite this in the book, and maybe I don't, I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> but there are more, more. what is the statistic? There are more CEOs named like John and Bill than there are female CEOs in the mm -hmm. United States. And I think that's just the reality. And we just saw that, we see that in the news all the time, that women are, are leaving corporate America uh, in droves, whether it's because we're not being supported, whether it's because... Uh, we're trying to balance work and life and not finding that balance, whatever that might be. So I think that's the first part of it is when you are the only or when you're one of the few in the room, it can be very intimidating to speak up. Uh, I think it can also feel like you're constantly fighting a battle or you're constantly going uphill with the things that you're trying to get across. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a, a colleague of mine who works in DEI and she was saying that she finally had to leave because even though she had gotten to the very top of the ladder and worked for some huge corporations as their head of DE&I, 
she would go in and, and create all these changes and then six months would go by and everything would just go back to the way that it had been. <laughs> and it was so frustrating for her. And I think that it is like that in a lot of places that the roots are deep, you know, and the roots are male and the roots of, of our society and of a lot of businesses are in place to elevate certain people and make it much harder for others to be elevated. And I talk about that uh, in the book a lot, that why do, why do women feel like we don't belong? It's because we exist in a society where we were never supposed to. Mm. So I think, I think that's a large, a large part of it. I think the other part is that speaking up is a skill. Yeah. And Women are often criticized. It's Sheryl Sandberg calls it and lean in the tightrope. You know, you go a little too far one way and you're seen as overly aggressive. You go the, a little too far the other way and you're being meek. And I think that speaking up as a skill and it's one that women are often lacking as they come up in education. If you look at girls, particularly in middle school, they're rewarded for being a good girl right? They're rewarded for sitting quietly and for following directions. And I should say, side note, as I say in the book, I've worked with a lot of middle schoolers, so I totally get it. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I get as a teacher, you know, rewarding the students that are, that are quietly paying attention. However, as we age, the script flips. And all of a sudden, when the classroom becomes the boardroom, women leaders are seen as people who question and think outside the box and cause a ruckus and, you know, chart a new path. And all of these things that we were rewarded for not doing are now the things that are looked for. And so we've really raised a generation of women that don't speak up because they were rewarded for being quiet. And I think that is, that is part of it as well. Yeah. And I, I would venture to say that uh, another contributing factor, or maybe these things are all sort of intertwined, is uh, what you referred to earlier, the the whole imposter syndrome. It's surprising to me, um, the research that I've done, how imposter syndrome is more likely to be experienced by highly accomplished women mm -hmm. who tend to think every accomplishment they've achieved was, well, they were just in the right place at the right time, or they, you know, had, had the right mentor. They attribute it to, to anything other than their own skill and ability. Uh, whereas men, you know, if they achieve something, tend to think, well, it's because I, I earned it. I deserve it. I, you know, I'm good at this. And uh, when they, something doesn't go right, well, that was just a fluke. Uh, for women, when things don't go right, that's just further um, evidence that we were right, that we don't belong. A hundred percent. And I think uh, luck, women think they're lucky. You know, I'm so lucky mm -hmm. to be surrounded by this team. I'm so lucky to have had this opportunity. I'm so lucky to be in the position that I'm in. And most of the time, is it luck? No, it's yeah. forethought, you know, it, or it's it, really hard work or it's planning. <laughs> yes. Yes. But the, the fact that we experience this imposter syndrome, this, this sense of, well, any minute now they're going to discover I don't belong here kind of thing, mm -hmm. I think would contribute to being hesitant to speak up, whether it's in a meeting or to negotiate something. Because what if I'm wrong? What if I'm mistaken? What if, 
the next thing I say reveals to them my ineptitude or whatever it might be. Oh, 100%. 100%. I think that's a huge fear. I mean, isn't the statistic that, you know, speaking up or public speaking is is the, a fear greater than death? Yeah. You know? And I think that absolutely because it's vulnerable. And I see that with singers and I see it with speakers that voicing your thoughts in front of your peers or your higher-ups, often your peers actually I find is, for my students at least, is much scarier uh, the, you know, the people that know you, the people that are going to respond and it, you're going to actually be affected by their response, right? Speaking up in that way and giving voice to whether it's your ideas or your wants or having a critique of something, yeah, it makes you really vulnerable. Yeah. And that's really scary because you might be wrong. Yeah. And I think also we live in a in a culture of where failure isn't treasured, you know, where failure isn't seen as okay, we'll check that off. It didn't work. Let's try again. Failure is seen as the the end all be all. It's over, right? Death is imminent kind of a thing. Yeah. Instead of something we can learn from, it says something about who we are as a person. Um, as Brene Brown talks about the stories we tell ourselves about what that means. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about, since you just mentioned that, that uh, the public speaking being scarier than dying, many of us are really terrified to speak up in public, whether, whether that's in a business meeting, at the podium, or even, you know, in a relationship often. In the book, you write about your three commandments of conquering fear in that context of being able to speak up. Can you talk about uh, those three commandments and how they serve us? Sure, I would love to. So the three commandments for conquering fear are prime, pinpoint, and power, my three Ps. So prime is brain science based. And what it is, is it's putting the steps in place to set our brains, our bodies, our voices up for success. And it's going to sound like the really basic tenets of like mom prescribed self-care. So getting seven to nine hours of sleep each night and eating a balanced diet and drinking water and exercising. And yes, they are the basic tenets of self-care. But I, what I have found is that one, they are the first thing that goes out the window when we get busy. You know, yesterday, I will use myself as an example. <laughs> yesterday, it was two o'clock in the afternoon and I was like, oh, I haven't had any water to drink today. All I've had is coffee. <laughs> maybe I should have some, maybe I should have some water. And that wasn't because I was uh, trying to not take care of myself. It was because I got busy and I just didn't think about it. And so I think particularly as women, we're often the caregivers, we're also often the primary parent, we're often the one who's who's nurturing and caring for others. And so a lot of those things fall by the wayside. The other part of that is we don't realize what a huge impact those things make on our health and well-being. So for instance, if you're not getting seven to nine hours of sleep at night, you're not forming memories as well. You're not dealing with anxiety as well. You're not making decisions as well. Your creativity suffers and a whole slew of health problems arise. So I think going back to the beginning and really thinking, okay, am I taking care of myself? Am I drinking water? Am I eating a balanced diet? Am I prioritizing sleep? Am I moving my body? Uh, exercise uh, is 
miracle grow for the brain. And I'm I'm quoting John Rady in his book, Spark, that uh, if you want to learn something new, and that would include whatever information it is that you're sharing in a conversation or a presentation, you have to move. Our brains evolved to learn on the move and they need to be fed. And uh, dopamine and serotonin, which are the feel-good neurochemicals, they feed on protein. So all of those things and having knowledge about those things and then prioritizing them can make a huge difference in success. So that's that's prime. It's preparing your body, brain, and voice to do its best work. Pinpoint is all about focus. So what I find is that when it comes to speaking up, a lot of times the fear is the unknown. The fear is the what if. What if someone's cell phone rings and throws me off? What if I'm in an interview and they ask me a question that's totally out of left field and you know I don't know how to answer it? What if uh, an assistant walks in or what if somebody's coughing or what if my microphone doesn't work? Whatever. What if I'm late? There's so many what ifs that leave us with anxiety about the event, about the conversation or the presentation. And a lot of that we can prepare for. And the way I recommend doing it is, is really through, through role-playing, is through practicing. So if you're someone where you're worried that you're going to be late or you're worried that you're not going to be able to find the room, and this for me is a big one. I'm very like, I have the fear of logistics. <laughs> like, where am I going? When do I need to be there? Where's the parking? You know, um, do I need cash for the toll road? Whatever it might be. And so one of the ways that that you can deal with that is literally to walk around your house or your office for five minutes quickly, like you can't find the room and then give your talk, right? If you're in an interview and you're worried about someone asking you a question that you're not prepared for, then get a partner and give them a series of questions and have them throw in some that you're not ready for, you know, so that what happens is that we take the unknown and we make it known. So we're not preparing for what will happen. We're preparing for what might happen. And all of a sudden, those things aren't as scary anymore. The other part of that, of maintaining focus, is you have to know your material. And if you read any book on public speaking, uh, talk like Ted, any anything like that, they're going to tell you that you know, winging it is for the birds, that you, you have to know your material, that great speakers know their stuff, whether it's the answer to an interview question or it's a presentation, forward, backward, sideways. And I say in the book, you want to be able to speak about it the same way that you would speak about your favorite movie or your best friend or your favorite dinner recipe. So you know all of the details, you know the backstory, you know the, you know, the bloopers that you can find on a back channel of YouTube and you can speak about it in a way that shows that you care, that you're exciting. It's not robotic because you know it that well. And if someone asks you a question, you can answer that question and then get back on track. And if you get off and you have to rearrange things, you can do that because you're that familiar with the material. And I think that is incredibly important, that preparation that we put in. And with this being the Productive Woman podcast, I think there are ways also to be able to do that more efficiently. So it is far more efficient to break your practice sessions up into smaller increments and spend, let's say if I'm going to spend 15 minutes practicing for my speech, what I would do is set up my phone to record myself, which I know is an icky for a lot of women, but it's it's so imperative because you need to know what you sound like and you need to know what you look like. 
And I would record the whole talk, watch it back, and then say, okay, where are the big things that I need to focus on? Did I get off track? Did I forget something? Is, you know, my right shoulder having a mind of its own or something while I'm talking? And then I would pick one of those and spend the next five or 10 minutes just focusing on that and then go back and record the whole thing again. Because just going through the the entire speech beginning to end, one, takes a ton of time, especially if you're giving a long presentation. But two, it's like you say, practice makes perfect. No, it's it's perfect practice that makes perfect. So if you're just making the same mistakes again and again, you're not actually fixing anything. And so it's much more efficient and your brain is much more programmed to practice something for 10 minutes, seven times a week than it is for an hour twice a week. And it also fits in with, with most people's schedules a lot better. And then the third P is power. And power is just courage. And so the first two, uh, prime and pinpoint, are all about what comes before. And then power is about doing it. And that's the idea that you can prepare yourself, you can practice, and then eventually you just have to go in there and you have to do it. <laughs> and uh, and it talks, I also talk a lot about um, in the chapter on power about self-efficacy and the idea of, of believing in yourself and believing in your ability to do new things and ways to cultivate self-efficacy. And uh, I think when you put those three things together, then we're able to mitigate a lot of the anxiety around speaking. I don't think it ever goes away because if if you're not anxious about it, if there isn't at least some energy around it, it's probably not that important to you. But what I try to do is, is help my clients go from, oh no, you know, it's almost my turn to take that and flip it. So it feels like, is it my turn yet? I'm ready to go. Let's do this thing. A lot of great ideas there because again, so many of us are are terrified of speaking up and the kinds of things you're talking about can really, I, I can see how they could really make a difference and make it a little bit less terrifying. But I agree with you. If you, if you don't feel some sense of, I don't know if anxiety is the right word, but you know, some sort of heightened sense about it, then it probably doesn't matter. You're not really, it's, you're not afraid because it doesn't matter. You don't care. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking when you were talking, the woman who gave one of my daughter's piano lessons years and years ago, she, she had a sign in her piano studio that said, practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent. Mm. So whatever, whatever you practice becomes reinforced and permanent. If you practice it wrong, it will always be wrong. So I thought that was interesting. I love that. I love that. So specifically with respect to women and their voices, what are some of the common issues that you see that come up with the, the students that you work with or the people that you work with uh, that maybe are perceived as as flaws or just issues with their voices that you work with them to address? Sure. I think the common critiques of women's voices uh, is usually around, one is volume. Either it's it's too loud or it's too quiet. And I think something to just keep in mind there is, particularly if you're going to be speaking or presenting, is you have to advocate for yourself. So 
uh, a lot of times women aren't aware if you're if you're not used to speaking up, then talking at a normal volume level is going to feel loud, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not if you're used to being small, then taking up a normal amount of space is going to feel large to you. And so I think the first thing is if if you're speaking too quietly and you need to speak louder, and I'm I'm quoting a colleague of mine who does this at her workshops, and I love it. She says, you know, how do you get a client to speak or sing louder? And the room of voice teachers, everybody has their own secret sauce of how to do this and everything from, you know, pretend they're on a mountaintop and the person they're talking to is at another mountaintop and you have to call to them. And after a, a couple minutes of this, she goes, no, you say, can you speak louder? <laughs> you know, and I, I've always loved that because that's the truth is let's start with are you aware? Are you aware that you're being quiet? Can you be louder? Great. Let's try that. Right. And I think for a lot of women, we don't need permission to use our voices, but sometimes it can feel like we do. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're going to be speaking, be sure to advocate for yourself. If you need a microphone, ask for one. And dual microphones, which are the ones that are in boardrooms and courtrooms, they they only pick up the sound that is immediately in front of them. So if you're on the petite side and you're standing at a podium and you need to stand on something to get your mouth up to the mic, then there is no shame in that. You might need to ask for a step stool, right? Um, if there is a sound engineer, if there's someone running the sound, check in with them, particularly if you're one in a line of speakers, because the reality is that, you know, the 6'3 the baritone that is speaking before you is going to sound different than you are. And so they may have to turn you up, you know, or or balance things differently. So I think that's that's one is is dealing with with the volume problem. Uh, I think another one is that women are often critiqued that the way that they authentically speak sounds unprofessional or that it makes them sound uneducated. And one of the, the common critiques is on vocal fry or, you know, this gritty, gravelly kind of a sound that a lot of women talk with. And I think it was really started with sur surfer culture in the 70s in California, but has been picked up by a lot of celebrities, namely the Kardashians. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a, a really normal way of speaking for a lot of women. And it's been criticized a lot because uh, the powers that be, which are usually older and usually male, say that it makes a woman sound uneducated or unprofessional or like she doesn't know what she's talking about. And I think that one voice science tells us that there's nothing wrong with vocal fry, that, you know, it's it's a lower register, it's the lowest register of the voice. And yes, it has a gritty or gravelly tone to it, but it's not harmful. Um, it's a common misconception. It's, it's not harmful to your voice. And I think that it is a natural and authentic way to speak for a lot of women. And quite frankly, it is easier to make fun of the way a woman speaks than it is to argue with the content of what she's saying. Mm. And so I think that uh, for a lot of my clients, we work on speaking authentically and saying, okay, this is how you sound. Let's record yourself. Let's listen back. I want you to like how you sound. And so if you don't, then we'll fix those things. But if you do, and that sound has some graveliness to it or has some, some grittiness to it, that's not a bad thing. And changing that idea that women need to lower the pitch of their voices or they're too shrill or they have vocal fry or whatever it might be, I really work against that with my clients to say, no, it is possible 
to speak in a way that feels authentic to you and to also command a room, right? And to recognize that the content of what you're saying, again, it's it's a lot easier to critique the way someone sounds than it is to argue with what they're saying. And I think that when Hillary Clinton ran for president in 2016 and she was called shrill and it was all over the media that she's so shrill, she's so shrill. Well, it's really easy to call her shrill and it's a lot harder to come up with, you know, really valid responses to the the content that she was saying. I agree 100%. But what do you say to the fact that even though we agree with that, even though you're I think you're absolutely right, if you are speaking to a group of people that you need to persuade one way or another who doesn't agree with what you just said, who does think uh, has has a problem with listening to a woman who's maybe whose voice is in the higher register or who has uses vocal fry naturally or or any of those things, where's the balance between adjusting the way you speak to deal with the realities of the room you're speaking to and on the other hand just speaking authentically and expecting them to sort of get over it if they're not going to get over it. I, I'm not asking that question very articulately, but hopefully you understand. Yeah, sure. And I think it's it goes to, we all have different voices, right? Mm-hmm. I have my teacher voice. I have my mom voice. I have the voice I use with my friends. I have the voice, my author voice when I write. So I think part of that is, yeah, you have to know your room. You know, you mm-hmm. have to do your research and and know who you're speaking to and and read the room in that way. I think that if I was going in to a situation where I was going to be really professionally speaking, the biggest thing that you want to do is record yourself and listen back because, and I I have this, uh, a chart in the book that you can read um, some passages from different books and listen back and then mark off what you hear. And then it corresponds with exercises to fix the things that you notice that you don't like about your sound. So I would say, yes, is it important that your voice is clear and that your audience can understand the words that you're saying? A hundred percent. Is it important that you're speaking at a pace that is fast enough to keep everyone's attention, but not so fast that they're missing some of the important content? Yes, absolutely. You know, is it important that you're loud enough? Is it important that you're speaking uh, at a level that people can understand? Absolutely. Yes. And all of those things can be worked on, but they can't really be recognized unless you record yourself and listen back. So in answer to your question, I would say, yes, there is, everyone has their own authentic voice, but just like our personalities, depending on who you're with and depending on what is called for, Mm -hmm. there are different levels to that, right? So the way that I sound when I talk to my best girlfriends on the phone is not gonna be the same way that I sound when I'm presenting. And that's okay. I think the the big thing is that you are happy with the way that you sound and that you've recorded yourself and listened back because the the voice in your head is always going to be different than the voice that your audience hears because you're getting a lot more sound inside your head than they're getting coming out of their mouth. And so putting the time in to know who, who your audience is, 
and what's going to resonate with them. Yes, so important. And then balancing that with, am I still happy with how this sounds, right? Am I, do I still feel like this is me and I'm able to get across uh, the, the things that I need to get across in a way that I think is going to resonate? Does that answer your question? Yes, that's very helpful. And it's, uh, you know, I'm cringing as you're talking about recording yourself and listening to it. I, like probably lots of people, hate the sound of my voice recorded. <laughs> and so sure. that's, that's painful. My, my husband, who does the audio editing for the podcast, teases me sometimes because I don't want to listen to it after it's been recorded because I don't like the way I sound. And I think, I know I'm not the only one who feels that way, but I, I totally understand the value of it as you're describing it. And it's something very much worth spending the time and the, you know, the cringe to do, Absolutely. To, to hear what you actually really sound like to other people. Absolutely. I think it's, if there was one piece of advice other than buy my book that I would want the, the <laughs> listeners to take away, it would be that. It would be that if, if you want to get a good read on what your audience is seeing and hearing, you have to record yourself. Mm. All right. So there's our homework, y'all. Uh, so much more that we could talk about. I do recommend that folks check out the book called I'm Speaking, Every Woman's Guide to Finding Your Voice and Using It Fearlessly. Look for it to release shortly after this episode is published. So at that point, you can already pre-order it if you're interested. I want to talk about just a couple of quick things, uh, Jessica, if you don't mind. Our conversation today is part of our Productive Living series for the Productive Woman podcast. And on this podcast, we talk about productivity as being more than just getting stuff done, but a productive life is is a life that matters. It's about making a life that matters as each woman defines it for herself. What does it mean to you to make a life that matters? I love that question. Uh this is something that I have held really near and dear to my heart since I was a kid. Um, around the dinner table as a kid, my parents always asked, that was the question. It was always, you know, when you're talking about what you want to study in college or what career path you want, it was never about money and it was never about status. It was always about how are you going to leave this world better than you found it. And I think for me, that is such a driving factor to my work is how am I going to leave this world better than I found it? And I think that helping women to speak their truth, speak authentically, helping my students to follow their dreams and to live creatively and authentically is, is just a huge part of that. I couldn't agree more. So I'd like to always end, sort of end with a question that I've asked, I think every guest I've ever had, uh, we talked at the beginning of this episode about your typical day and the routine you follow, some of the tools that you use. You've structured your life in a way that's working for you so that you're able to get the things accomplished that are important to you. But with that in mind, do you ever have a day when it all gets away from you or you just get completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? Oh, all the time, like what every other Tuesday is like that. Um, I think, and I'm going to quote a friend of mine, and I don't know where she got this, but I was I was telling her exactly that. I was having a day where I just said, I feel like I'm dropping all the balls, like I'm failing at work, I'm failing at home, I'm, 
you know, and she goes, well, Jessica, that's the good thing about balls. They bounce. And I said, Mm. oh, I just love that. And so that's sort of the driving factor that I remind myself of when that happens is like, you know what? Nobody's dying. (laughs) This is not life or death. You know, we're not curing cancer here. It's okay. It's going to be okay. We're going to get back on track. People are going to be gracious, you know, and if they're not, then an apology goes a long way. And I think that's the big thing is I just really try to remind myself, yes, they bounce. (laughs) Everything bounces. It's going to be okay. (laughs) I love that. That's a great Great perspective to have on on days like that. Thank you. Jessica, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about what you're doing uh, or maybe have a question for you or something? Where's the best place for them to find you? Absolutely. So they can find me at my website, which is just my name, Jessica Doyle Meckis, all one word, dot com. Uh, I'm also very active on LinkedIn. So if uh, you're a listener and are on LinkedIn, I would I would love to connect with you on that platform as well. Okay. And we'll, we'll be sure to put uh, those links in the show notes for this episode in case someone's driving and can't write it down while they're listening. Perfect. Uh, before we go, many of the women who listen to this podcast, maybe most of us, uh, are looking for some help and encouragement and, and getting things done and in, in making a life that matters as they each define it for themselves. Thinking about the things we've talked about today and how finding and using our voice kind of fits into those objectives. Do you have any last words for that woman? Anything you'd say to her as we wrap up? Absolutely. I think I would say to remember that your voice is powerful in the way that you speak to yourself and the way you speak to others really lies the power to change your entire life and that you can harness that power. That would be that would be the big thing is just to recognize that your voice is powerful, it's essential, and what you have to say matters. Thank you for those words, Jessica, and for taking the time to talk with us today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I am really glad to have had the opportunity to talk with Jessica and for her thoughts on finding and using our voice. If you're interested in learning more about the work she's doing, definitely check out her website, connect with her on her social media channels, and consider checking out her new book, which I have very much enjoyed reading. We'll have links to all those things in the show notes. I'd love to know what you think about this episode. Do you have any questions or comments for me or for Jessica? You can share those in the comment section of the show notes for this episode, which again, you'll find at theproductivewoman.com slash 466, or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. If you're a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, you can uh, share your thoughts there as well. And of course, as always, if you prefer to share your thoughts with me privately, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at theproductivewoman.com, and I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode or if you enjoy the podcast as a whole, I'd love it if you'd help me spread the word. Tell a friend, share an episode, perhaps using the social sharing buttons that appear at the top of the show notes for each episode or consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts or uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
I wanted to take a moment to say a special thank you to some folks who recently uh, did just that, left reviews uh, and comments on the show. Uh, Amanda L7 from the United States recently gave a five-star review. Thank you, Amanda. And uh, said, I love your tips. This podcast always helps me when I'm dealing with a lack of motivation, when I'm feeling in a slump, and when I need someone to listen to. I thoroughly enjoy this podcast, and I don't mind the sponsored ads at all. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm glad you find some value in listening. Uh, Vicky Civic from Switzerland also enjoys the podcast and gave a five-star review. She said, I have recently discovered this podcast and absolutely love the motivation and truth that comes from it. Thank you so much, Laura. Well, thank you, Vicki Sivik, Civic. I apologize if I'm uh, reading that wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to know you're listening from Switzerland and that you find it worthwhile. And finally, Snapdragonfly from the United States also gave a five-star review and said that it's a fantastic antidote to the Productivity Bro podcasts. Uh, She says, you know the bros, uh, Huberman, Ferris, Adia, etc. She says, they're fine, but sometimes you need a sincere, smart, thoughtful, reflective person who's giving you a short overview of something that's really helpful. Practically, you get the latest research, but she knows working moms, for example, don't have three hours for a podcast. I love how she summarizes and bullet points the lessons at the end. Ladies don't always have time to take notes either. Thank you. Well, thank you, Snapdragonfly. I'm glad that you feel that way. Um, I, I've never heard the other, uh, some of the male uh, productivity podcasters described as the bros, but I, I get your point. There are just so many good podcasts out there. Uh, I'm glad that you find that our approach here is worth listening to. Uh, I appreciate everyone who takes the time to to speak about productivity, to share thoughts and insights that we can all learn from. And I very much appreciate the feedback hearing from each of you. And uh, I would say that's it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and with Jessica. I hope you found something in this episode that was helpful to you. And I look forward to talking with you again very soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter. Mm